Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 20, The Rapture. Let's get this show on the road. I feel like after the last two major shocking reveals we've had, Prophet Chuck, which I think came out of left field, and the surprise you have a dead third brother, as much as this episode was great, it had so much to live up to as far as like major like moments. The ending was definitely like a kicker, but otherwise... I actually agree with that. I feel like there should have been maybe like a funny episode in between the last one and this one, and then this one would might have had more impact. I understand that for the overall pacing of the season, especially so close to the end, like... We're too high up on the roller coaster that I'm like, the drop's going to be too quick. I'm excited to see how they handle the end of the season, given what we're here, where we have left off with two episodes left. I mean, this is season four, and they've done this every single season, where they get to, like, two episodes before the end, and you're like, how were they going to make this happen? It often bleeds into the next season a little bit, and I think that that's exactly what we're going to see again. Just, you know, no spoilers here, but... I'm excited to see where it goes. Wonderful. Are you ready to give us a recap of this particular episode? Count me down. Wonderful. Three, two, one... Go. We start with a really weird, peaceful scene of Dean fishing in a dream, which I mean, I feel like we're going to have to discuss at some point in story time because that's really out of character for everything I know about him. Cass is all like, we have to meet. I have something important to tell you. And they go find Cass and they find his body. There was clearly some angel fights. And all we have left is Jimmy, the poor guy who Cass took over and secretly ruined his life, it turns out. We'll get into that. They try to keep him from getting in trouble. Demons show up. His wife gets possessed. His daughter gets possessed by Cass. There's a big fight. We kind of get this whole subplot of Dean kind of like, uh, you know, questioning things, but like wanting to help him, but also set him free. And then we have Sam's whole subplot of the, mm, I need that demony blood to keep me going. Mm, it's great. And then the end big reveal is... Sam just full on vampire some poor demon chick before killing her and then gets locked in Bobby's basement because shit's about to get real time. Oh, and Cass gets back in Jimmy's body and they do that whole like, and eh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> do you want to go to the long game right away? Yes, please. So a few highlights here, not as many as we've had in the past few episodes. Angels can visit humans in their dreams. I feel like it's also important because Cass's big issue is he doesn't want to talk in the dream because someone else could be listening, which makes me feel like it's other angels. Okay, I'm not too far off for that one, but good to know. We meet Jimmy Novak, who's a devout man from Illinois, and he is Castiel's vessel. And again, I'm just, I'm sure I'll get to it again later, but in case I don't, the acting, Jesus. Because we've sang the praises of Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles in the past, and like how they've both had moments to really shine. I think this episode for me kind of highlights the range of Misha Collins for it to happen so quickly after he joined the show. And like after so few episodes of Cass actually being in there, it's definitely impressive. We also meet Claire and Amelia Novak, who we will both see again. That's exciting. You know what? Like I have a criticism we'll get to later, but I, this felt very like 
they were just there for the sake of this episode. So knowing they get like more screen time, I'm excited. Jimmy loves burgers. We're going to need to keep that in mind as well for next season. Okay. (laughs) The scene where Cass initiates contact with Jimmy is very similar to what we saw in Houses of the Holy and also in Lazarus Rising when Cass is trying to get in touch with Dean. I kind of like how that language stayed, even though it started with a ghost who only thought it was an angel, I guess. I find that a fun exercise would be to go back and watch Houses of the Holy together and be like, oh, this is like, this could be an angel. This could be an angel. This could be an angel. That'd be a fun exercise. I'm down for that. And the big reveal, Sam has a demon blood drug problem, uh, so much so that angels are starting to notice. I got the vibe that was kind of the angle we were going for in the last few episodes was kind of like a feeling of it. And this episode really drove it home. I mean, the some of the very obvious things, the way he spoke to Ruby on the phone, like the I need it now. Stop what you're doing. Come, come over here. And I mean, to the literal point of, well, it's right here in front of me and fresh. I might as well, even if everyone can see me because I'm that desperate. A cat finding catnip. We find out that being a vessel for an angel has something to do with blood. The vessel also has to consent to being possessed by an angel, unlike with demons. You know what? At least for as much shit as I've given angels in their the, the actions they take, at least there's this level of like permission. And finally, we get a coming up montage, which we don't get all that often. So I sort of wanted to know what you thought about it. I actually missed it. And luckily, while putting my notes together last night. Well, I mean, I see the credits and I assume the episode's over. So I hit stop. So luckily I saw your note and I was like, let me go check. I feel like the amount of content they put in that coming up feels like a full like five more episodes worth of information. Yet somehow we're going to squeeze it into two and probably still conclude the season on some level. I'm I'm very intrigued to see again how they're going to fit all this into two episodes. I mean, that's always the question, like I said, right? So, so you know what? We are so close now. We only have two episodes left after this one. So are we ready to move into story time? Let's go. Our theme this week is a sacrifice. Do we have an origin? Well, we do. And first, I sort of wanted to talk about how we've talked about this before in Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we had discussed at the time is that for the sacrifice to be meaningful, the thing that you give up has to be very painful for you to give up because you care about the thing that you're saving even more than the thing that you're sacrificing. But it still needs to be an exchange. It's still like, yes, ultimately, it needs to be something you want more than the thing you're sacrificing. The sacrifice still has to be hard. The word sacrifice comes from Latin origin, and it means to make holy, which personally I had to like sit there for a second in order to really understand it. And if I can bring in today's general meaning, basically is the act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So like basically what you are giving up, you are making holy in order to have something else that's even holier to you or even more important. Okay, I I see that now. There's a need to kind of like sit with it for a little bit and like unpack that slowly, like, you know, like remove the petals once and once at a time. Yeah, like usually the etymology game, it's like it's really easy to play connect the dots. But this one really felt like a crossword puzzle from like the harder level of the New York Times. You're just like, I don't get what these clues mean. 
So this episode this week doesn't really revolve around Sam and Dean. It revolves mostly around Jimmy. So we'll definitely be talking about him today after we talk about the brothers. They obviously both get their moments, but realistically, this is the Jimmy show. This is the Jimmy show. You're absolutely right. So should we start with Sam? I think that Sam is in the process of sacrificing a lot. It's been hinted at before. Now we're really seeing Sam depend on demon blood, not only to like perform his demon hunting duties or whatever it is that Ruby's helping him with, but also to just feel good and normal, quote unquote, in his life. There's a conversation to be had about addiction here, and we will have that conversation, not in this episode, but we will have this conversation. Like he's basically sacrificing his life, his well-being for demon blood and for his addiction. The sacrifice of who he was and his life for demon blood is all for that greater purpose of sacrificing his true beliefs and who he really want, want to be or wants to be in order to become this weapon, essentially. I can't disagree with that. I will bring us back to Chuck's comment to Sam about control. Where Sam was trying to convince Chuck, and therefore himself, that he was all doing this in order to be the bigger person and like offer Dean like a chance at life. And then Chuck was like, don't you think that this just makes you feel in control? And then someone was like, oh no, no it doesn't. But like we both were like, no, no, like clearly... Yes, it does. So that's kind of why I think he thinks he's sacrificing, you know, his life for the greater good. I don't think that that's what's going on. I think that he is literally addicted to the control, to the to how he feels when he is on demon blood. I will say I think you have swayed me in this one. I still think the argument could be made kind of a chicken or the egg type thing where is it the sacrifice of his true self to become this chosen one, which then begets the demon blood addiction? Or is it the reverse is the demon blood addiction that he is then convincing himself he has to keep doing and it's right to keep doing because the sacrifices he made. It's kind of an Ouroboros type thing. It's the snake eating its own tail. But I think you are right. I think ultimately there was a point where that was the Sam we knew and love that was doing this for the greater purpose. But I think that Sam is now just a shadow of his former self. And that excuse is just there to let him continue his demon blood addiction with some level of like, no, 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 no. I have to do it. It's not an addiction. It's a I have to. I don't really want to go into the addiction conversation right, right away. But there is. A researcher on addiction, his name is Gabor Mate, and he's written some books about addiction. He basically approaches it as a way to fulfill an emotional need, right? You consume drugs, alcohol, gambling, like any, basically anything that you can, shopping, anything that you can get addicted to is something that you use in order to numb emotional pain. I think this is a nice like primer to get us there. How about Dean? Well, I sort of had trouble linking Dean to the theme this week. Like, I don't know about you. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, but. I have some great thoughts about it, but you're right. It was a difficult game. But I'm sort of thinking that maybe like his sacrificial moment happens like at the end of the episode 
where he sacrifices the trust that Sam has in him in order to like cut him off from the demon blood. And I, I don't want to make a judgment on it because I have thoughts about it, but like, I, I think that he thinks he's doing the best thing for Sam. Like, I, and I want to leave it at that. I think what he is doing in that moment feels right. Again, we will see what this actually becomes story-wise. I could be wrong. This show has done enough to twist my emotions, so who knows? Well, it's also like if we just bring it back to situations like this in real life, right? Again, like if we're using fiction as a way to like use our, flex our muscles that we don't usually use, you know, in, in real life, like force putting someone in treatment, it's done. People do it. For some people, it works. For some people, it doesn't. I think Dean thinks he's doing the best that he can. He's doing what he can with the tools that he has. He's willing to sacrifice a little bit of the the trust that Sam has in him in order to do that. No, you are very right. And like I said, you, you've, you've already got my gears turning on the what does this actually mean, both for the real world analogous and the actual show's story. So we will see how the next episode goes. But you're totally right. It really was hard to kind of like tie Dean to this. And I think you hit the only real point in the story where he has to make a functional sacrifice. But I think that given the theme, we still have a very interesting angle with Dean, if I can use that word. I think angle is what I want here. He is acting as this in-between point of both Dean's sacrifice for power and Jimmy's sacrifice for the greater good of heaven. Dean is literally watching two people he cares for deeply. And may I just remind our audience, I definitely saw the look that Dean gives to Jimmy when Jimmy is shot. That is not the look of, oh, no, a human is shot. That is the, oh, no, the man I love, his body was injured. That was um, that was a longing look. That was yeah, no, that was that stare. He is watching them both make these incredibly difficult sacrifices. Both of them thinking that this giving up of their humanity, the sacrificing their own humanity to a higher purpose. But in reality, they're just hurting themselves. He is watching Jimmy give up his like life and family to let Cass have a vessel. And even before that, he was abandoning family and now he's put them in danger's way all because heaven and God said so. And then he has, on the other side, his little brother, who was like, mmm, yummy, yummy demon blood, give me that stuff, I need it to work and live through my day, and also have magic powers. Because it helps me save people, which is my clear reasoning, and it makes me look like a good guy, even though it's a drug addiction, essentially. While the sacrifice itself isn't Dean, this is Dean watching people make sacrifices, going, they're both idiots. We saw Dean literally make the ultimate sacrifice last season for his brother. That idea that you're bringing of him kind of watching sacrifice happen is really interesting to me because he knows, he knows the pain of it and to see like Jimmy in that situation and then Sam in that situation as well must be really painful for him. I mean, at this point we have to talk about Jimmy. Yes, we have to talk about, I mean, the thing is for Jimmy, it feels a little bit more straightforward. You know, we see it at the end, right? Like he sacrifices his life for his family. Like he literally gives up his own life in order to make sure that Claire gets to live hers. I spilt my beans during the Dean section on how I feel about the whole 
sacrificing yourself to be a vessel for Cass and how that affected the people around you in your life, Jimmy. I feel like I'm talking at Jimmy, which is a weird thing to be doing right now, but it felt very necessary. No, for sure, because I also have questions like and I'll get to that actually in critical time a little bit. But like, why? I feel like Jimmy here acts as a very good mirror to Sam, which is what I pointed out during my discussion on Dean watching people, you know, sacrifice when you don't feel like you have power and someone offers you a what seems in the moment a very safe way to help people. I don't feel there was ever a part of Jimmy that felt like this was his hero moment or he was the main character. I think he very much accepted his role as like a secondary character in this plot, but he knew that by doing so, he could be doing something greater for the world, for the universe, for the everyone. You know, it's it's hard to pass that up. It's hard to look God or an angel in the face and go, I fully believe you, but I can't help you because my measly existence, my one man life is worth more than the entire world. You know, to use the quote from Star Trek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You know, like as much as I think in many scenarios that is fair thinking, you know, if my very small amount of inconvenience can help hundreds of others and thousands of other people, why wouldn't I do that? So for Jimmy to make the sacrifice, it seems so logical, but it's his opportunity to then see what it did how it left his, you know, how it left Amelia and Claire and how it hurt them and how in doing so he's now put them in danger and that maybe the they'll be perfectly fine and perfectly safe wasn't completely true. You know, it suddenly puts all of this into doubt. Was it worth it this whole time? He's he, he, clearly he regrets it. And that's the thing, right? Like in order to quote unquote fix it, he takes on that responsibility. He realizes that you know, he, he messed up. He, it was the wrong decision to do that. And he fixes it by sacrificing his life in order to save his family, in contrast with Sam. The only part of Jimmy's very tragic story that, like, to break story for a second, that, like, doesn't sit well, is that it was so textbook. Yeah, for me, it is just this matter of, I feel like, they set this up with Ruby in the whole, like, let's make the possession ethical thing that I knew from the start. Because, again, and unfortunately, I guess this comes with the, like, osmosis of the community. I know Cass makes it till at least roughly the end of the series. And to my knowledge, Misha continues that role throughout the whole thing. It is not a matter of swapping bodies, which as much as it's an angel they could do, they don't. So I knew the end of this episode was going to be Cass taking Jimmy's body again. And I figured we were going to get another round of the on his last dying breath, taking this body that would have otherwise died. So it's technically saving him, but he can never leave this body again. And the real Jimmy's gone forever was kind of how I expected it to go. So I, I don't think they could have written themselves out of this one, but it sort of just set up the whole episode where like I knew where it was going to end. So the sacrifice while on paper still holds so much like sway from the analytical side. It's like, yeah, but like they had to do this. There was no way to write around it. Unfortunately. I, I see your frustration. I don't share it, but I see it <laughs> and I, I respect it. And as much as a frustration, I think it's more a frustration of just like, I wish they had done something different besides exactly what they did with Ruby. But 
again, I still think as far as story goes, Jimmy and Cass's narrative, beautiful. The thing is, though, Jimmy's still in there at the moment. It's not like Ruby. Did we see sacrifice anywhere else in the episode you want to discuss? Well, I do want to talk about the scene where Amelia tells Jimmy to take the pills uh, after he started talking about angels and Castiel. And she's okay with her husband being mad at her so long as he takes the pills. I think we can say that she's willing to sacrifice a part of her husband's relationship with her in order for like what she thinks is Jimmy's mental health to get better. So like, again, a tough love kind of situation where like, I am forcing you into treatment because I truly think that this is what you need at the moment. As someone who's had to do that in their life, it is not easy. In a rare case where I can so incredibly relate to a character on a level that is like weirdly, it touches me in a weird spot to like feel that way. Hearing you describe that, it like gave me a shiver of like thinking about being in those that space that space again. And like it it hurts. At the end of the day, quote unquote, forcing treatment on someone is always super hard and super problematic and super difficult and all of those things. And yet people do it because they think they are convinced that it's the best thing they can do for this person. It's usually done out of love. You know, apart, I'm sure that it's not always done out of love, but I am certain that in this case, it is done out of love. An episode where the theme is so prevalent, despite the boys being so non instrumental in that theme, but allowing other characters to come in, exist in this world and shine and tell their stories. And as much as you've made clear that we are going to see his wife and kids again, even if they were one-offs, they were, I mean, the daughter a little like less story wise, like she had her moment, but like Amelia getting that moment really like that's a lot of power to put into a character who for all we know was only going to be here for one episode. Like I felt a lot for her in that moment and a lot of empathy for Amelia here. Shall we head on down to critical time? Yes. So who was behind this Listen, with the amount of angst in this episode, it could not have been written by anyone else than Jeremy Carver. Ugh, a name I love to hear. And directed by Charles Beeson. Another name I love to hear. There you go. Would you like to tell us a little story this evening? I would love to. It hurts to be alone. I don't count the voices. I'm alone, and it's just me in my head. I don't know what I am anymore. The voice says it'll all be okay, but waking up two towns over in a stolen car with a weapon on the back seat and some stranger's blood splattered across my chest doesn't really feel okay to me. Sometimes I can recall pieces of it. Like when I daydream, the little bits float to the top and pop like bubbles, putting me momentarily back in those instances. A gun in my hand, a face lurching towards me, I pull the trigger, fires, burning body lights and smoke I can't seem to explain, but my little voice tells me that it's fine. You know, I used to do research at the local libraries to figure out who they were. It drove me mad wondering if the voice and what I'm doing were. But soon, it stopped mattering. Even if they were bad, even if I was good, it's all in my head, and the real people get hurt, 
and the real people have their lives taken away. Whether the voice is an angel or a devil on my shoulder, the bodies behind me know not the difference. I feel like this show does a really good job, and I'm trying to help emulate it a bit here, that like, sure, they're angels, and sure, they have a holy mission. At the end of the day, there's still a body count. So should I start calling you Jeremy Carver now? <laughs> I'm choosing to take that as a compliment. <laughs> you can take it however you want. Thank you. <laughs> there wasn't like a lot to go off in this episode. I feel like we've done our, our due diligence on devils and angels. So sorry, demons and angels. I don't know why I keep doing that with the word devils. Honestly, I think that in general, devils angels are perfectly fine, right? I, it, in Supernatural, it's demons because the devil refers to the devil. There's like so much similarity between the two. Like, yes, ultimately the goal of the demons is to burn the earth and kill all humans and the angels, it's to save the earth and save all humans, even though wiping out a bunch of them seems to be totally fine. They're still, they have almost as high a body count in some scenarios. Yeah, and uh, the series is not over, that's for sure. And I'm sure it ain't gonna stop. Any thoughts for this week? I feel like this episode made me, like, ridiculously emotional when I really took the time to watch it. And, and I think that it was just a hormonal thing because I did just start my period, but I cried watching it. And I don't cry often on my Supernatural rewatches. Like, I know what happens. Um, <laughs> you know, this was not a surprise to me. But yeah, I mean, like, to kind of come back to my question... Like, why do you think that Jimmy accepts to be Cass's vessel? And you sort of gave us the answer before to what you think is the answer. So if, if I might add my own, I really think that it has to do with his faith and his devotion to God and to Christianity. Because Cass does say that, like, Jimmy has prayed for this. And I'm kind of thinking that this, you know, quote unquote, this isn't actually sacrificing his life for his daughter to not be taken over by an angel. You know, like he never prayed for that. That's for sure. I think that what he prayed for was purpose or maybe a greater purpose in life. And he felt like being the vessel of an angel could be the purpose or the kind of purpose that he was looking for, which also sort of brings me to ask myself, like how satisfied was he with his life before? Because like when he comes back, you can tell that he's not taking those moments with his family for granted anymore. I guess rewatching this episode in this lens kind of made me wonder, like, was Jimmy unhappy in his life? And that's not to say that he didn't love his wife and daughter, but was he unfulfilled? Was there something missing? I, I love this view of it because I think it really touches on something I tried to get to earlier. And I think you just did a much better job of it again. And I love having you as a co-host for that reason. For many reasons, that's one of them. The other is my excellent jokes. Oh, phenomenal. Uh, but for me, it is really this level of, I feel like there's so often there's this like, we see in a lot of books and like narrative and film, this like, you feel like you could do more. Like you said, he probably didn't wish to be or pray to God, let an angel come use my body because that's a thing that a good Christian needs to do. Maybe it is. My Christianity mythos is kind of like meh, but like I don't believe there's a prayer for that particular request. If there is, correct me. But I think you're right. I think he was looking for a greater purpose to do more. 
and kind of in that monkey paw, you know, granting your wish, but like not the way you foresaw it. The lesson where we as an audience are supposed to learn is that sometimes what you have is enough. Sometimes you don't need to sacrifice anything at all, right? As silly as it sounds, the fact that the dinner she serves him is just like very plain, like crust cut off sandwiches. His reaction to them, not because it's food, because it's t- it's dinner with his family again. It is this thing that he thought was so mundane, but he has been without for over a year and he now realizes how incredibly precious it is. And what do you do when enough is not enough, right? When you feel like everything, you should be satisfied with everything that you have and yet you're not. Like, how do you handle that? Do you blow everything up? I don't know, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that what he did was wrong. He did what he did and it is what it is. But like, what does this say about, about us? Like about us watching this? How do we relate to it, I guess, is, is more my question. I think I'm good to leave it with that. I think we've both sort of given our input on this one and we've left enough room for a conversation for our... Uh... For our listeners. Sounds good. Speaking of our listening audience, shall we hear what they have to say this week? Yes. This week we have a message from Sans. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send a three-minute voicemail where do you see sacrifice in Supernatural? Or better yet, where do you not see sacrifice in this show? Or to respond to anything else we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Hi guys, um, my name is Sans, S-A-N-S. Um, I always have to spell it out loud because people always think that it's Sam, but it's not. And I'm a trans guy, so I chose my name myself, and I think that's really funny because um, when I was going to change my name, it was going to be Dean. Because when I was younger, my mum used to call me her wayward son or her little Dean um, before I even knew I was trans and before I even knew what Supernatural was because I was too young at the time. Um, But I ended up changing it to Sans because it was 2015 and all of my friends and I really liked Undertale. But um, anyway, um, (laughs) at one point you asked us um, what we think Dean's favourite Halloween candy would be. And I don't have an answer for that, but it did remind me that a while ago I designed three course meals inspired by Team Free Will. And I've never made these meals, um, but I, I love to plan and design a lot of different things. And I thought you might be interested in hearing the meals. Um... Also, I uh, do recommend that you get a snack because you will definitely feel hungry after and during this um, because it's just going to be food talk from now on. So, for Sam, I have a starter, which is a small Caesar salad. He is made as an American pasta salad. His dessert as a dairy-free strawberry cheesecake and his drink as fresh apple juice. Um, I don't really have much of an explanation for any of these choices, um, apart from Caesar salad is one of the only types of salads that we've seen him eat on screen. And the cheesecake is dairy-free because Sam makes a joke about being lactose intolerant in one episode, and while I'm not sure if he actually is or isn't, I am lactose intolerant, so if I want to make this meal for myself, it, it's going to be dairy-free, and to be fair, dairy-free is a usually seen as a healthy eruption, so Sam would probably go for that anyway. The American pasta salad and the apple juice is just because it's healthy and I think those are options that remind me of Sam in general for some reason. Just the vibe I suppose. Um, For Dean we have his starter as mozzarella sticks or if you don't want those you can always go for my personal homemade uh, tomato soup. Um, His main as Kansas style hunter's chicken, Uh, his dessert as apple cinnamon pie and his drink as cola. 
most of this um, meal is very like classic restaurant kind of stuff. Um, but the I chose Hunter's Chicken because it I thought it was funny and I really like Hunter's Chicken anyway. Um, and I made it Kansas style because I, I thought that that was also really funny. Um, also, I know that Dean usually is associated with cherry pie, but that really wouldn't go with this meal. And I thought it was kind of funny as well that um, apple pies are actually British, not American. Um, so you, you get a little bit of men of letters in there. Lastly, we have Cass, um, and this is definitely a breakfast. Um, for his starter, we have a PB&J mini parfait. Apologies for the pronunciation because I'm British and British people say everything wrong. Um, his main is honey and banana American style pancakes with vanilla ice cream. And his dessert is angel food cake. Um, his drink is either butterfly pea flower latte or a cinnamon coffee. Absolutely everything in Cass's meal has an explanation because his was the thirst I made. Because I thought it was funny to base a whole meal around Cass just solely on the fact that there is something called angel food cake. The PB&J parfait is because he canonically likes PB&J and I thought a mini parfait was a nice light starter. I chose honey and banana American style pancakes with vanilla ice cream because American style pancakes are more of a main and they're very fluffy. Um, Cass canonically also likes honey, but in, in the same episode that we get Cass talking about how much he likes honey and bees, we also get him talking about monkeys, and he actually talks about monkeys a lot more, um, so I added some bananas for that, and the ice cream is just because I associate classic angel wings with vanilla ice cream, because it's like fluffy and light like that. Um, the butterfly pea flower tea latte is like a really natural light sky blue um, and that kind of reminds me of his eyes and also angel grace um, but because it's very expensive I gave the alternative of cinnamon coffee because his coat has that kind of vibe to it um, and I thought it was a nice replacement drink if you don't want to spend a lot of money on one tea that you may or may not even like. I also originally wanted to include Jack in this little meal plan, but um, even though I've had this all written down for months and had no one to tell, um, I couldn't think of anything apart from his drink, and Jack's drink would be a cola vanilla ice cream float, which is just a glass of cola with a scoop of ice cream on top, um, but I chose it because it's a very childish drink and it's, it's quite hit or miss whether people like it or not, um, but also it combines Dean's cola with Cass's vanilla ice cream in the meals, and I thought that's really cute. Um, also, I think that Jack himself would really enjoy this drink, but because it's super unhealthy, Sam would absolutely hate it, so Jack would have to, like, sneak off to the kitchen and have it in secret, kind of like he does with his tiny bowl of cookies. If you, um, wanted details on what each of these meals has in them more specifically, or the personal homemade tomato soup recipe, um, I've posted them on my Tumblr, um, Loudest Cloud, and it is gonna be my pinned post, because I'm very proud of all of this, um, but no one ever really wants to hear me talk about it because it's such a weird specific thing. Um, I wanted to end this by saying, uh, A, I'm not a chef, I'm actually pyrophobic, so I'm afraid of fire, so cooking is very scary, but uh, I just really wanted to share this with somebody, and I thought that you guys might like to hear it. Um, if you have any improvements, I'd love to hear them, and I'd also really like to hear whose meal you would prefer to eat. Um, sorry that this voicemail is really long, but uh, thank you for your time. First things first, Sans, thank you for this. I could listen to this for hours, I've done this with other fandoms with like thinking of the food they would eat. This is one of those like weird, like you don't really think about things, but like when you really dig into it and think about the meals that certain characters would eat or like, I think it does so much to reveal. Like I could legitimately consider doing a special food episode of the show one day talking about like meals that correspond to characters. Like I know we did it with music and stuff, but like, I love this before I get into the food. Thousand points for the name choice. Sans, heck yes, also a big Undertale fan. Love it. I feel like Mary already knows whose meal I would take. Cass, 
this weekend for my father for Father's Day, we did breakfast for dinner. And today for lunch at work, it was breakfast for lunch. So I've had I've had pancakes and or waffles and like some combination of bacon and like that like realm of food as non breakfast twice in the last five days. But the apple juice with Sam makes so much sense for some reason. Like, why does this make sense? I don't know, but I <laughs> like I'll take it. It works. <laughs> I think it also kind of like just hints at Dean's like apple pie also like so I think that it's a nice little link there. I like it. I feel like I have a weird like personal connection. Like I love apple juice. I'm like I often joke about how it's like the drink I will go to when like I have the opportunity very specifically on flights, though. If I am flying, I am getting apple juice from that little cart every time. So like for some reason, it equates to me the like, here is a thing that I as a grown adult don't normally get the opportunity to order because it's rarely just on a regular menu unless it's like a kid's menu somewhere. The rare time it is offered to me and not a kid's menu version, I'm going to take it. And I feel like Sam, as much as he is the grown up, there is still that part of him that it kind of like idolizes the childhood he never had. So given the opportunity to be an adult, but still get a childish drink like apple juice totally works. And I love that. Seriously think I would eat every single dish you mentioned. I'm even not a fan of tomatoes. I would try your tomato soup. That's how impressed I am with you. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Which meal would you have? I feel like you're a Dean. Uh, so the mozzarella sticks, what was the, what was the main again? Can you remind me? That was the, the hunter's chicken, which I had. Oh, the hunter's chicken. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think I would also go with Cass's meal just because like banana pancakes has my heart, like <laughs> no matter when. And I also do love me a good butterfly pea latte. I, now I don't know that I can make a meal out of this, but I would definitely say, cause Drew, you don't know about Jack yet. I am a huge fan of any float. I know you're not a root beer person yourself, but I will put ice cream in any soft drink happily. I'm still assuming Jack is a dog and a bowl of cookies leaning into my prediction. Fantastic. So for Jack the dog, (laughs) I think that he would love to have a starter of his favorite sweet cereal, sugary cereal that Sam doesn't like him eating. He would also love to have anything that has nougat in it. I absolutely agree with the, the, the cola float. I think that that works very, very well. The thought of nougat just get me like full Homer Simpson drooling mode there. I'm sorry. Sans, this was such a sweet voicemail. Like this is definitely not something that I would have thought about. But the second you started talking, I was like, tell me more. I want to hear more. So everybody you heard uh, about where to find this amazing recipe and more about this, go have a look, please. Please and thank you. Shall we reflect a little bit ourselves now on this week's episode? Sure. I had a lot of trouble finding my reflection this week, and then I think in discussing with you, I weirdly got pulled towards what I had, like, brought myself to. You know, it happens to us in life, maybe not on the level of, an angel saying, hey, I need your body for things or, hey, you should drink some demon blood to become superpowered. We all kind of get these moments in life where we are, we are given choices. And I feel like we see it a lot in TV and movie that like, oh, I'm not going to take this amazing scholarship in Europe because I'm in love with you. And if we've been dating for three weeks and like, no, 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 I'm sorry. 
if my wife came to me tomorrow and said, hey, I got a job opportunity, but I have to go live somewhere incredibly exotic and cool and get this amazing opportunity. But like, I'll be away for even a year or two. I'd be like, go hunt, go 100 percent. Go. I can wait. I can travel. I can come see you. Opportunities like that don't come along all the time. But then I also need to remind myself my call to action is that life isn't a movie. Sometimes the thing that gets put in front of you can be too good to be true, or sometimes the sacrifice isn't worth it. I love our podcast, but if you tried to tell me, let's do this, you know, two episodes a night, every night, and I suddenly sacrifice my time with my wife, I know you would never do that, but I couldn't bring myself to do that. If my job offered me a great promotion, but it meant working opposite schedule my wife and having to work weekends and giving up that like work-life balance, like that's that that's too painful to do. So my call to action is less of a action to take at this moment, but just to remind myself that when opportunity presents itself to really weigh the sacrifice and have that conversation, know my limits, both upper and lower. I think what I hear a lot in what you're saying is that you have reflected on what is sacred to you, what is holy. That is a great way to put it. And what were your reflections this week? I really enjoyed rewatching this episode. As much as I have watched and rewatched and rewatched this series, I feel like this round of rewatch that we're doing together is definitely much more thorough and it feels much more like a true rewatch than anything I've done before because I'm going into all of the little details, right? And so rewatching this episode, like I enjoyed it, but it definitely made me feel all kinds of stuff. And I'm also glad that it's over because it was painful uh, to, to watch, I found. I feel like I didn't have that much to say about this episode and I'm sort of glad that it's behind us. And so I'm I guess it's making me feel called to name and to honor the moments in my life that are both like painful and meaningful at the same time. That's incredibly heavy because I think that there's so much in that because, yeah, it's it's the things that make us uncomfortable that allow us to grow. So admitting that this episode has an effect on you to the point that you're happy it's over but that it was able to bring, I genuinely think we, we had a great conversation about it and everything about this episode. So I'm happy it happened. And I'm happy that you were able to get through it for the sake of the show and to get us to these amazing conversation points. Thank you. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vicourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Sands for his message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I don't know why I went so southern on that. <laughs> Let's head on down to critical time. Let's head on down to critical time. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet home Alabama. <laughs>